0: Long History. The Hunt for the Missing Captain. Part 2. Philippine Islands Hijack and Rescue. Hello everyone and welcome to Long History where we take source documents from history and split them into chunks of around 10 minutes. These are historic adventures in all their full detail. This is the second of our series called Forgotten Voyages where we ask the question what happened after Magellan? As well as the Magellan fleet being the first to voyage around the whole world they were also the first Europeans to cross the Pacific. But in the Forgotten Voyages series, we're asking the question, who came next? In a document Long History's previously covered called After Magellan, we looked at the Loaiza expedition. And in this document, we look at the expedition who went in search of news of Loaisa. So this was the third Spanish expedition to cross the Pacific. And it was headed by a man called Saavedra. Now in the last episode, Saavedra's ship kept springing a leak but they did make it to some pacific islands where however they were unable to communicate with the local people. In this episode the journey takes a turn for the worse, becoming more arduous with a number of men dying. However, they then make a surprising discovery as they continue on their journey towards the Spice Islands. Suddenly, there's a remarkable link with the previous expedition headed by Loisa. So this is the second episode of a five-point series. So don't forget to subscribe to be informed of the release of the remaining episodes, and as we begin this episode, the crew are still making their way across the Pacific. So this is The Hunt for the Missing Captain, Part 2, Philippine Islands Hijack and Rescue. The following day, the captain asked the pilot just how many leagues we could be from the land that we were looking for. He said that we would be 150 leagues away. On that day we continued 30 leagues. The following day, we would have travelled another 25 leagues with the same wind. The following day, the pilot said that he did not feel well. We would have travelled 20 leagues on that day. The following day, the pilot was very ill and making no sense. We let him down from above to below. He made a will, and having just finished it, he died. He was the pilot Ortuño de Arango, a native of Galete. On this day we continued for fifteen leagues. On this day the blacksmith was also cast into the sea. The following day the barrel maker fell ill, dying some twenty days later. On this day the weather was calm, it lasted two days. The following day in the evening the east northeast wind returned to refresh us three hours before the sun went down. On this day we travelled for ten leagues. On this same day we saw land before nightfall. All night our sails were lowered and, when day came, we went to explore this coast. We saw a very good port, reaching it at lunchtime. We went and anchored there, we put the rowboat into the sea and we went to bury a sailor who was called Cancino, a native of Palos. This island was unpopulated and while looking for food we found nothing other than shellfish. We spent 28 days there, being unable to leave the port due to the heavy weather, because it was winter on that coast. This was the end of January. On this island we took on water and wood. This island is at 10 degrees. From here we set sail, and leaving with the northerly we headed south. This island is about one league from a large island called Mindanao, and we sailed around her coast, up to 80 leagues, in five days from our departure from the islet. As we continued navigating the coast, a king came out in a Calalus boat, which is like a small brigantine, three leagues into the sea. He came within a stone's throw of us, speaking with us using signals, and we listened as he told us by signs that we should land, and that he would give us water, rice and coconuts, and this in the Spanish language. So we followed him, and we dropped anchor at a point with two anchors, one to the north and the other to the south the coach running north to south. We anchored after midday and called the natives, asking them to come on board, but they did not want to. Seeing that they did not want to come, we took some containers and threw them into the sea, asking them to bring us water. They took them and went on to land. They brought us water, putting it in the boat for us without allowing any man to enter, the ship being a throw of a lance away, the ship being tied up with a chain and in this way, we received around ten containers of water. The following day in the morning, they and many other people came by land. Among them came many women loaded with children, and they placed themselves in sight of the ship, which was a crossbow shot from the land. This king is called Katonau in their language, and a son-in-law of his, who is also a king, came in a parole boat, which is like a brigantine, With three people and a child, a son of his, in his arms. And he arrived at the ship and they entered. And the captain received them very well, taking the child from his arms and giving him some beads called abalorio. He gave them food and wine, although he did not drink. He was in the ship around half an hour, then said he wanted to go. He went on land and joined his father in law who was on land. On the coast there were, it seemed, around three hundred people. On the following night, three or four men came to the ship in a Karalooz boat. They reached the buoy that led to land and they died down, pulling on the anchor and raising it up. They placed it on their Karalooz boat attached to the mooring line and pulled on it, believing they could pull the ship behind themselves. As they could not pull it, they cut the rope and took the anchor to land. They took a cord as thick as the wrist, some three hundred arms length, and they returned to where they had cut the mooring line, tying the cord to the cable. They returned to land, and all the people began to pull at the mooring line to pull the ship to land. They did this in sight of three Spaniards that they held as captives, who had been lost from the fleet of Commander Luisa. And seeing that they could not take the ship, they asked the Spaniards why they could not pull the ship to land they replied that there must be another anchor in the sea stopping it. They came to the prow of the ship in the same Karaloo's boat, and the sail they used was seen arriving as they went into the shelter of the ship. The captain ordered the watch that even though the Indians came, no harm should be done to them, for which reason, the one who was on vigil, let them come so close without speaking to them or saying anything, and when they were there, In their hand they took a dagger that they brought to cut the cord. On seeing this the guards spoke, and when they saw that they had been spotted, they went away laughing as if it was a joke. They went to land. It was already dawn. On that day the wind began to blow from land, pulling the anchor on land. We began to pull at the cable, and, as we pulled it in, we found that it had been cut and tied to the cord then we saw how the cable had been cut and realised that they had tried to betray us. On that day in the morning, one of the Spaniards who had been captured fled into the bushes. When they saw that he was missing, they thought he had gone to the ship. Without saying anything, they all left, taking with them the other two Spaniards. This Spaniard came to the coast near to our ship beneath some rocks, and from there he waved to us with his hand, Seeing him from the ship, the captain ordered the rowboat to go and see who it was, and arriving near, the Spaniard began to swim. They took him in the rowboat, and they brought him to the ship. From him, we learned all the above, and many other things about this people and land, because he was a great talker. He was called Sebastián, a native of the port of Portugal, married in La Coruña. We gave him the refreshments we could, and the captain gave him some clothes. This Spaniard was asked if he knew how many degrees this land was. He said that the bachelor Tarragona, who had come with the fleet of Commander Louisa, said that a bay that was near there had been at eight degrees. This people are called Celebes. They are a very treacherous people. They have a great deal of gold available, having mines from which they take it. They dress in good cotton cloth. They are white and well-built, and the women are striking, both men and women having loose hair. For weapons they have swords, which they call cutlasses, and lances and arrows and blowpipes with herbs, which they shoot from the mouth, putting the herb on a palm-length needle. For defence they use armour made of fish and corslets of very good cotton. They have shots of bronze gunpowder. They know how to make them, being belligerent people who make war with each other among them are kings crowned with crowns of gold and highly valuable stones they have many pigs hens and much rice and other food from here we set sail with a northerly and we arrived at a cape that is called Takabalua which is 5 degrees north of the line it is 50 leagues from where they took our anchor we continued for 3 days and passed the cape while 2 leagues in front there was a heavy northerly, so we lowered the sail and maintained our guard. Afterwards, the wind moved to east-northeast, and we entered a bay, and went to stop on an island that was three leagues round. It is populated, three leagues from the large island, and wanting to take port, we measured the depths, but could not find the bottom. We lowered the sail, and went with the boat on to land. The captain headed inland with twelve men and the interpreter. And upon arriving, within one stone's shot from land, some Indians came out, around fifty men with their weapons, swords and shields, and the interpreter spoke to them, telling them not to be scared, that they did not come to do them any harm but to buy supplies from them, which would be paid for. They were shocked when their own tongue was used, and replied saying that they would go to speak to their king, who was about half a league from there, and that they would bring a reply they returned and said that the king was suffering from gout, but would come. They should wait for him, but due to his illness he could not come quickly. He arrived, bringing with him his wife, two daughters, some women, and another two children, male. One of them carried arms and a headdress of feathers in one hand, and in the other a sword and a small shield. He arrived at a spur in the water and sat on the floor on some blankets that they spread out for him. Then the interpreter spoke to him, saying that there came a great captain of the Emperor of Spain, who came to make peace with them and to have them as his friends, not to cause them any harm or danger. Less than a decade after Magellan had first reached this area, and just a few months after Loaiza had passed this way we can already see the effects of the Spanish visits to this area. It seems that the local people are able to communicate at least to some extent in Spanish and we see one result of such long journeys the men who are left behind. Here it seems three men from Loaysa’s fleet had been left in the area and after one group of local people attempt to hijack the ship one of them was rescued. So we leave the crew in the southern Philippines In the next episode, they will cross Philippine waters into Indonesian seas, eventually reaching the Spice Islands. Here, however, they find the Spaniards in disarray and very pleased that Saavedra has come to help them out. Thank you everyone for listening to this episode. Please do like it and share it in whatever way you can before you move on. That kind of help is really appreciated. This was The Hunt for the Missing Captain Part 2 Philippine Islands Hijack and Rescue Bye.